Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. It is so good having you guys here. I'm so excited about the word this evening. We're going to look a little bit at, at some stories in the Old Testament. And if all goes well, I'm going to give you some time to do something which we probably don't do enough in church, and that's to read Scripture. So if you have your Bible close by, you can start taking it out. Maybe it's on your phone. Otherwise, you can sit next to a Christian. Um, Just kidding. Not that Christians have phones. Christians hopefully have Bibles. When, there we go. When I was younger, we had real Bibles like this one, which we brought with us to church. And the pastors would always say, take out your Bibles and wave them in the air. We remember those moments. Make the bookshops happy and the devil nervous. Um, we're going to hopefully spend some time reading Scripture on our own a little bit this evening. But this evening, I'm wanting us to continue what we spoke about last week, about the fact that God's called us to be proclaimers. You and I is called to be proclaimers of the gospel. And we said there's this phrase that's entered into Christian life a little bit, um, attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, kind of when we see it, but it most likely didn't come from his mouth. There's no record that he wrote it or ever said it. It says something along the lines of, Preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. And I love how someone equated that once and said that's a little bit like saying, feed the hungry and, if necessary, use food. See, God's called us to be proclaimers of the gospel, to speak the gospel. And obviously, last week we spoke a lot about that, the fact that God's called and chosen us to be proclaimers, everyone. There's this passage in, in Romans 10 which if you're explaining what salvation means to someone, what is faith, what does it mean to follow Jesus? At the first part of our spiritual growth series, Encounter One or Life Encounter, this is sort of a, a key part of what we speak about. If you were to meet someone from the Amazon desert who has never heard the gospel but can speak English, hopefully. Um, you can communicate with them and you explain the gospel to them. Romans 10, in some form, is going to be part of that conversation. And it says that Moses writes the law, that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commandments. So under the Old Testament, which is what Moses is all about, what that says is if we want to follow God, we have to keep all of the laws. It's all about doing everything right all the time. But faith, in other words, the New Testament way of getting right with God says... Don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven. In other words, who's going to bring Christ down for us? Or, and who's going to go down to the place of the dead? In other words, who's going to fetch the crucified Christ and bring him back to life again? No, faith says that the message is close at hand. It's in your lips. It's on your lips. It's in your heart. And this is the message. It's the very message about faith which we preach. That if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the Scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. That's sort of the, the heart of the gospel, and it's such an important part in theology, an important part in our understanding of Jesus, of following Jesus. But the weird part about this letter is that's not actually the point that Paul is trying to make here. It's sort of a, a sub-point. It's a very important theological point. But what he's actually saying is, this is sort of the prelude. This is the introduction, the, the preparation. He carries on and he says in verse 14, because what he's just said is, for in order for someone to come to salvation, we need to hear the gospel. We need to have faith in our hearts. We need to believe it. We need to speak it. We need to confess it. 
And then verse 14 says, but how can they do that? How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him in who, if they have never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who brings good news. And so the thrust of this passage is tying into where we were last week, that we are proclaimers. That unless someone takes the gospel and runs with this good news, where the gospel runs with the message of Jesus, the message becomes powerless. And last week we spoke about the fact that you and I have been chosen by God to proclaim. Don't have it up here, but if we can, just the next slide, I think I've got it for you guys up there. In First Peter, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Different translations sort of have different words, royal nation, special generation, or some of what other translations say. Why are we chosen and royal and holy and a people? So that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So last week we unpacked that a little bit. We spent time in that passage and in the next passage as well that God has commissioned you and me to proclaim. I love this. So simple in Mark 16. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. To the whole creation. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, another verse which most of us probably know really well, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you receive this power, you will be witnesses. You will be empowered to proclaim is what he is saying. Telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We've spent a lot of time this year speaking about God's mission, the Missio Dei, this idea that God is the one who sends, who's always been sending, who continues to send. That God is the one who initiates sending. That God doesn't have a mission for this church or for any other church, but God is a church for His mission. His mission predates the church. The church has been brought into being to fulfill the mission of God, not the other way around. And so we've been speaking about this mission, about embracing God's mission, about running with mission, praying this prayer, God, what is your purpose for my life? Which isn't a bad prayer, but it's a little bit of the wrong prayer. Until we ask God, what is your purpose? The question of what is your purpose for my life doesn't quite make sense. We first have to get quiet and wrestle with God. God, what is your purpose? God, what are you doing and only when we begin to have an understanding about what God is doing does it begin to make sense what He wants to do in us and through us. Because my purpose isn't unique and disconnected and separate from His purpose. It's not like God is, I really, I've got this in my heart. This is what I, the God of the universe, who caused wars to see, to place the stars in the sky. This is what I'm doing. But actually, I've got this different thing for Philip to do. He's more special. So I'm, I'm going to give, Philip's got a purpose. No, God is doing. And when I begin to embrace what God is doing, then it begins to make sense what God is doing in me and through me and for me. And a large part of that in every one of our lives would be about proclaiming. We've been chosen to proclaim. But as much, I think, as, as a church, as we're sitting here, if I was to ask all of us, nodding our heads, we're saying, yes, that's us, obviously. We know that. The theory is we know that. But I also know that some of you are a little bit like me. I love how Scripture gives us stories of people. And all of Scripture is written to encourage, to inspire, to show us who God is, but through the lives of people. And so most of Scripture is stories of people. And you might have missed this by now. It's normally not stories of people doing great things. But it is stories of God doing phenomenal things through very ordinary people. Some of you here tonight, you're a little bit like Peter. So Peter is one of the disciples who's following Jesus. And he sees Jesus walking on the water. And he's like, Jesus, that's you. Call me. I'm coming. And God is some, It's me. And Peter is running, walking, whatever, on the water. God says, go. And Peter goes. 
and then stops to think, what is it that I'm doing? You know, Peter is the type of guy, he just responds. God speaks, Peter goes. Peter's eager to follow. Peter's excited to follow. But I love that Scripture isn't only got Peter. There's also Thomas. Thomas is the original, I'll believe it when I see it, God. Thomas hears Jesus has risen from the grave and he's, I'll believe it when I see it. There's Jesus. No, no, is that really Jesus? Let me put the fingers in the wounds. Then I'll know it's Jesus. And I love how God has so much grace with Thomas. God isn't, yes, Peter, you're my guy. Thomas, you're the loser. No, he's, Peter, you're my guy. Thomas, you're also my guy. And so I want us this evening to look a little bit at some proclaimers, mostly from the Old Testament, or for this evening from the Old Testament, who are reluctant proclaimers. People who perhaps, like you and like me, have heard God speak. But we find an excuse about why not. And as we look at these lives, I'm trusting God is going to stir a little bit of faith in our hearts and in our, in our being to know that, you know, God hasn't given up on me yet. And so right now, if you have an excuse, if you know God's speaking to you, God's maybe just speaking to you to step across the corridor. Maybe it's not across the continent. Maybe it's not to go into different countries and different nations and all of those things are important. We're going to continue to do them. Maybe a little quick asterisk. A couple of weeks ago, we had a, a gathering with a whole bunch of pastors and some of our senior leaders of our church across the country. We come together once a year and we worship and we pray and we just grow in relationship and draw near to God together. And really, just always incredibly beautiful time. And one of the beautiful things about that is we get to invite different people into that space. So some of us have been in that space for 20 years or whatever. And journeying together as we seek God. And I love how God adds people, either sons in the house that are being raised up, people who are saying yes to a call of God on their lives, but also people from different networks and different groups who become friends, become family. And one of the guys who's there who was a friend and he's becoming more family than friend now of our church is a, a missionary, spends lots of time training raising up missionaries, traveling the world, speaking to missionaries, doing missionary work, but equipping and raising and mobilizing missionaries. And he's from South Africa. So people always ask him, How, what's going on in South Africa? What is the church in South Africa? And then they always talk about what is the mission and sort of the, the sending, the going of the church in South Africa look like? And then he begins to speak about our church and the missions teams that we send. And where we send them to, and the age of the people, in other words, the youngness of the people that we send, and how God moves, and the signs, and the wonders, and the miracles we see, and the lives we see changed. And he says, no one believes him. He says, no one believes that there are local churches who are committed to the gospel, and to sending, and to the nations. He says, you don't see that in the world. And so I want to encourage us, let's keep holding on to that. That's something God's given us. Maybe you here, you've never been on a mission before. There's no reason why you can't start praying and saving. It's an important part of it. Preparing for a mission tonight. Start putting out in your heart, say, God, I want to go on a mission. Maybe I can't go in December, but Lord, June, July, next year, it's always a great time for us to send, especially the student missions teams in the June, July holiday. God, I'm going to start praying about it now where I'm going. I'm going to start thinking about December vacation work so I can start saving. Yes, we go to orphanages and we go to close places, but, you know, sometimes we send teams to Iran and to China and to Pakistan, to places where you're not meant to go as missionaries. And God opens doors and we get to go and bless the church. Then just a couple of weeks, I'm going to Zimbabwe. If anybody wanted to come with me, come and speak to me afterwards. We're going to be spending time with some church leaders there, praying with them, talking with them getting to find out a little bit where are they at and what are their struggles and is there something that we have as a church family that we can contribute, that we can help and bless and encourage them with. We're going to continue to do that. And now I can't remember how I got onto that. We want to be a people who 
are responsive when God speaks. But I love Scripture that helps us that it's okay to not always be responsive. And there's a little bit, of, I hope you get my heart when I, when I say that. But here's a guy called Moses. Most of us have probably heard of this Moses guy. Moses, at this stage, is about 80 years old. He lived 40 years in Egypt in the king's palace, the son of the king, effectively, a son of one of the princesses. After 40 years, he realizes that he's an Israelite and he wants justice for his people and he ends up killing an Egyptian and so he runs away from Egypt. And for 40 years, he's a shepherd in the desert. He's 80 years old now, been spending the last 40 years living and walking in the desert. He knows about desert, desert things. He's seen some bushes, he's seen some bushes burn, and there's this one bush that's burning and burning and burning and burning. And I don't know kind of if it was days or weeks, but at one stage he's like, that's a bry bush. That bush must be bright on. The fire just carries on and on and on and on. We need to go to that bush. And so he goes to that bush and he gets that bush and God speaks to him. He knows God's speaking to him. Right at the outset, God says, take off your shoes because the place where you stand is holy. He's like, this is not a normal conversation. And so let's look a little bit at what some of that conversation is. God says to him, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. This is like this holy, holy moment. He knows the presence of God is there. This bush has been burning just forever, and it's not burning out. He's taken his shoes off. The living God is speaking to him. But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? You know, we read stories like this and we're like, Moses, can you be such an idiot? Moses, this is God speaking to you. God says he's with you. Why are you arguing? And it's easy for us. And then we realize very quickly, but we're Moses. Just as God speaks to us, we find an excuse. For Moses here, it's his insecurities, his perceived personal weaknesses. That's why he can't go. Who am I? What makes me special? I, I've got all of these issues that I've dealt with. I've been in the desert for 40 years because I'm not good enough for Egypt. Now you're sending me back to Egypt? No, God. Who, what do you think you're doing? It's not his words, but that's kind of what it's getting at. The conversation continues in chapter 4. Moses protested again. He can like start his own political party here, you know. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? He's got all these what ifs, these questions, these reasons why he can't go. He's like, it's not that he's confused. It's not that he's unsure who's speaking to him. It's not that he's unsure what God is saying to him. It's not that he's kind of wrestling with, is this or is this not God? He knows exactly it's God. Still he protests with all of these reasons. So the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? The shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff. It turned into a snake. And Moses did what you and I would. He jumped back. He's like, whoa, it was not what I was expecting. The Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. And if I was Moses right there, my protestation would start here. You know. But so Moses reached out and he grabbed it and he picked it up. He turned back, and it turned back to a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform the sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'll put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand Back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. And I think the author maybe missed and breathed a big sigh of relief, you know. <laughs> but the Lord said to Moses, 
If they don't believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, then they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it on the dry ground. When you do this, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. God is speaking powerfully to Moses. There's no doubt in Moses' life what's going on here. There's signs, there are wonders happening right there at this burning bush. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. God, I know you've got this whole plan, but I'm not good with words. So sorry, God, your plan is a doomed plan because I can't speak. I never have been and I am not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. And most of us by now are like, Moses, just listen to God. And Moses is, Lord, please send anyone else. We read that and we're like, Moses, what are you doing? Until perhaps we allow ourselves to get quiet and we realize, I'm Moses. There are things that God is speaking to me about where he is leading me. And I have a thousand excuses why God can't. I believe God is omnipotent, omniscient. You know, He's all-powerful. He knows everything. He is everywhere all at the same time. God can do absolutely everything except through me. Once again, some of us are Peter. We're like, God can do everything through me. Boom, here I go. Some of us are Moses. God, you need to find someone else. God, anybody else except me. And So I've got good news and I've got bad news for you tonight. The bad news for you is God is not going to find somebody else. The good news is God is not going to give up on you. Just like with Moses, God is going to make a plan. You see, despite all of Moses' failures and Moses' insecurities, God still used Moses to bring the people of Egypt, like the people of Israel, out of Egypt. God still used Moses to accomplish his purposes. Everything that God wanted Moses to do here, God still ended up using Moses to do. He had to coerce him, he had to encourage him. Eventually he said, okay, I'll send Aaron with you if that's going to make you feel better about life. But hey, just let's go do this together. And so God has this incredible adventure that he has stored up, that he has planned, that he has laid out for you. And some of us right now are Moses. And what I'm hoping tonight is a little bit of faith to stir in our heart to say, maybe I should just go. There's another guy. His name is Gideon. A couple of years or two ago, we spent some time looking at Gideon. The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath a great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I am the least in my entire family. See, Moses' issue was his insecurities, his hurts, his baggage that he'd picked up in Egypt. Gideon, it was, I'm from the wrong family. I speak the wrong language. I've got the wrong skin color. I went to the wrong university. I grew up in the wrong circles. I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, from the wrong suburb, from the wrong town. God you, you, God, you can't use me. God, somebody else has to do this. I'm disqualified. Another one of those great stories where God is like, no, God, Gideon, you're actually the one I want. God, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Okay, God, if you're sure, show me this. And God shows him this over and over. And God is gracious. God isn't, you bad loser guy, I can never use you. Here's a little surprise. 
for you perhaps. God wasn't surprised when you gave him an excuse. When you put the excuse on the table, when God started speaking to you, it's not like God was, oh, wow, well, there goes my whole plan. It's like, I know. I knew you were going to say that. And I'm okay with it. So let's take some time. Let's work through these things. Let's talk through them because I still want you. I still want you to experience this partnering and, and working with me. doesn't matter if you think you're from the wrong family, the wrong background, the wrong upbringing, the wrong nationality, the wrong passport, the, the wrong reason. It's another guy, Jeremiah, a verse which many of us probably have quoted and, and prayed if we've been following Jesus for some time. Quoted this over ourselves, hopefully, and we've prayed this over ourselves, we've prayed this over others. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 1, the Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Who's prayed that? Who said that? Who's got that written down somewhere as, as encouragement for us? And yet Jeremiah's response, oh no, you didn't. God is Jeremiah, I shaped, I formed you, I made you exactly who I want you to be. And Jeremiah is, oh no, I'm not good enough. I'm too young. God, it can't be me because I'm underage. Whatever the age required is for this, I, I've got an excuse, God, you can't use me. And I look at that and I'm like, Jeremiah, are you for real? God has just said, he has shaped and formed and created and made you perfectly. That little piece that he's just said to you, people are going to quote that for thousands of years to encourage them, to lift themselves up, to remind them that God has chosen you, except God has actually said that to you, and you've got an excuse. I've shaped you. I've formed you. You are exactly what I want you to be. Jeremiah's, I'm not right. And yet God is gracious with Jeremiah and he becomes one of the most significant prophets in the Old Testament. And then there's perhaps the worst of the lot. His name is Jonah. Now I want us to do something which perhaps, I don't know if you've ever done this in a church service before. I don't think I've ever done this in a church service. I've never asked anyone to do this in a church service before. But I want to give you a few moments and I want you to read the book of Jonah. You say the book of Jonah. I say, yes, the whole book of Jonah. It's like two pages in your Bible. It's four chapters. Who's never read the book of Jonah before from cover to cover? A couple of us. Great. We're going to start tonight. I'm going to give you five or six minutes, as much as you need, in your translation, on your scripture, whatever, if it's a real, like a hardcover Bible or an electronic Bible. Let's read four chapters. Jonah, chapter one, verse, all of the verses, all of four chapters, and then we'll... We'll dig into that for a bit and, and close off. How are we doing? Anyone still busy with Job? Joe, Job. Job's going to take a lot longer to read. Jonah. We're done. So it's a, a simple story and it's written in, in most of your translations. It'll be in, in very simple language. It's actually written in very simple Hebrew as well. And you might have picked up, it's a little bit of a funny story. For the Hebrew reader, this would be very humorous. In the same way that if you were to read in Hebrew the original text, if you were to read the Genesis story, the creation story, it, it's written in a very humorous way the language that's used. And, and here is a lot of satire in this. And there's so many things about Jonah which are encouraging for me to read. But one weird thing about Jonah, maybe just put this out there, you probably picked this up, is Jonah is the one guy in Scripture who doesn't follow G, obey God, not out of disbelief, but because of belief. Everyone else, like Moses and all of these other guys, but God, what if? God, can't, God, I can't. God, you can't. I can't. I'm too weak. I'm too poor. I'm too what, what? Jonah is God. If I go, I know what's going to happen. 
they're actually going to listen. And they're going to repent. And they're going to turn. And judgment is not going to come to them. And I don't want them. I want them to be judged. That's kind of where Jonah is in this whole story. So this is this journey that God takes Jonah on that. But let's read here from Jonah chapter 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and he went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, number one, that's foolish because Jonah knows he can't escape from God. And so I've got a, a map here for us to help us just a little bit for those who kind of the language doesn't quite make sense. Jonah starts here at Gath Hefer and he, he goes to town Joppa, the port city. And God says to him sort of in that area, go to Nineveh. Nineveh is east, maybe northeast a little bit from there, about 900 kilometers. Far Definitely far if you don't have a, a car or a plane to travel by. It's a long way, but I mean, it's not the end of the world. Tarshish is on the other side of the map, <laughs> literally. He's literally saying, where is the furthest place I can go to that's not Nineveh? Once again, I, I love how we read this, and I laugh when I read this until I realize I'm Jonah. Until I realize there are things that God has told me to do. And maybe in some areas I do exactly the opposite. There's sort of two, two theories. We're not exactly 100% sure. Most scholars think Tarshish is there at the south of Sp Spain. The other option is in Cyprus, just south of Italy. But sort of in the same direction, the same boat cruise. Tarshish is about 4,000 kilometers. And so here's Jonah. He's like, God speaks to me, go this way. Jonah says, I'm going that way. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many have ever been Jonah in our lives. And I really sense this evening that God is wanting to release some of us from this Jonah situation. Jonah goes and he decides, God, he knows God's calling him this way, but he's kicking, he's like, I'm going this way. I know God is in this. One guy came and spoke to us and um, told us his just salvation story. A significant church leader led one of probably the biggest church in South Africa for 30 years. And he was there just sharing with us. He's also one of those friends who's becoming part of family. And he was telling us a story of how he was wrestling about really surrendering his life to Jesus. And just as he was about to commit to Jesus, he just felt the whole, he's felt not the Holy Spirit, a lie, say, you're never going to have any joy. He should have wrestled through that. He's like, God, even if I've never had any joy, I'm going to follow you. And then he's like, just about to pray, God, I'm totally committing my life to you. And this word comes up and says, if you say that you're going to be single and never get married. It's weird how the enemy comes and kind of pushes on all of it and he's kind of wrestling with us and the soft spot is getting pushed and he's wrestling through it and he's like God even if I go through my life bitter and never have any joy and single I still want to follow you and just as he's about to pray that kind of this lie comes into his mind again he says don't say that if you say that God's going to send you to China he wrestles through that but it's weird how there's this thing inside of us that I don't want to go anywhere with God. It's going to be bad. And maybe in hindsight, it's actually pretty good. But he suddenly, maybe you were like him, wrestling with God's going to send me to China. Okay, I'm going this other way. I know God is in this thing, but for whatever crazy reason, I can't say yes to this thing, even though I know God is in this thing. Has anybody ever had a moment like that? I know God is in this, but I just can't do this thing. So I'm going to go this way. God says, Nineveh, I say Tarshish. And so here he is on the way to Tarshish, and the story is just like one of those crazy stories. So he finds himself on the ship. You guys have just read it. He's on the ship. They're like, everyone else is 
freaking out, the ship is about to sink, he's fast asleep. The bottom of the boat, they find him. They're like, this is your fault. He says, I know. What must we do? Well, throw me into the sea. They're like, we can't do that. You can't just throw someone overboard. These are sailors, characters, kind of, these are meant to be rough people. Yet they're the ones who are like, no, we can't do that. He's like, no, do it. And like, God, forgive us if we do this. This is wrong. And they repent and they kind of start praising God and kind of this whole thing. They, in a New Testament context, come to salvation. They throw him overboard. God is like, you don't have to follow me, but hey, I'm going to use it for my glory anyway if you're going in the other way. There are people on a boat who are going to meet me because of you. So if you want to go that way, you can go that way. But don't kid yourself. I'm still going to use you. So these people on the boat, they come to faith. They start glorifying God. Jonah's knowing the fish, and in the fish he has this moment with God, and he prays, and the fish vomits him out, and he lands on the beach. And this is where we pick up the story in chapter 3 again. And then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. You would have just read it now in chapter 4. There are about 120,000 people in the city. Obviously, in modern context, that's not a huge city, but that's a lot of people in an old world context. This is a metropolis. This would have been a huge city. 120,000 people in one city. And deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command, and he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. In the Hebrew, that's five words. Jonah comes and he preaches. He doesn't say, hey guys, I've got this great news for you. I'm going to encourage and lift you up. There is this God who loves you. He's gracious and compassionate. And you need to turn from your evil ways and begin to follow Him. And I know it's hard at first, but trust me, God is a good God. No, He says, guys, 40 days, it's over. Probably not with a smile on His face. He's upset that He's actually doing this now. So he's there, he's obeying God, he brings them this message, literally in the Hebrew, five words. 40 days and it's over. Destruction. I love how it's not about his sermon. It's not about the signs and wonders that he does. It's not because he's this great orator and he gives this incredible message that causes people to fall to their knees and worship God. No, his message, 40 days, it's over. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on heaps of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning. I would love to see what these cows looked like. But anyway... And everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. I don't know about you, but this sounds like revival to me. If my people who are called by name, my name, we know that scripture. If they what? If they humble themselves. If they turn from their wicked ways. If they repent. They call on my name, then I will heal, hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. That is exactly what the city does. The whole city does it. And they does it. They do it even though he didn't want to go. Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil way, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. And then chapter 4 kind of flows on after that where 
Jonah's upset. God, how can you have... God, I knew you are a God. I mean, this, this is the worst accusation you could ever throw against God. God accuses... Jonah accuses God of being a God who is slow to anger and rich in love, abounding in mercy. <laughs> he says, God, I know that's who you are. I knew if I was going to come here, you were going to be who you are, and you were going to forgive these people and have grace upon them. That's why I didn't want to come. And then kind of the whole story of wrestling in, in Jonah's heart. Does Jonah actually love his enemies? Because God loves Jonah's enemies. Does Jonah love Jonah's enemies? And that's sort of the, the heart issue in Jonah. But for us this evening, I've got a simple question. What if God could turn your fill-in-the-blank, your community, your family, your city, your classmates, your company? What if God could turn it around in one day? Jonah, five words. Let me rephrase that. It took God five words from Jonah to turn that whole city around. Do we really believe? Do we believe that if we were just willing to obey God, that God would actually be who God is? It's a weird thing about Jonah. Jonah didn't want to follow God because he knew who God was. He knew exactly what God was going to do if he went. He's the only guy who disobeyed God because of his faith. What if God could? What if whatever my excuse was, I was able to take that excuse and lay it down and say, okay, God, I'm coming. God, I'm too young. God, I'm too old. God, I'm too poor. God, I'm too rich. God, I'm too black. God, I'm too white. God, I'm too English. God, I'm not English enough. God, I'm too tall. God, I'm too short. God, I'm too sick. God, I'm too healthy. We all have our excuses. What if we were able to take that excuse and lay it down and say, God, you can. You can turn a city in a day. You can turn a family in a day. You can turn a business in a day. I'm going to go, God. God, I'm going to get over myself a little bit. I'm going to get over my issues. I'm, I'm not going to keep throwing my issues back at your face. I'm just going to look at you, Jesus. God, you could do it with Moses, with Jeremiah, with Gideon, with Thomas. I happen to be on the mountain. There's a mountain in Chennai outside of India. I was on a mission there one year with the team. The mountain is called Mount St. Thomas in India. Chennai, which is right on the east coast of India. That's where Thomas died. He was, story is he was up on the Tom, uh, Thomas, he was up at the top of Mount St. Thomas praying. And when he was being praying, when he was busy praying, someone came and, and killed him because of his faith. But India is a heck of a long way away from Jer Jerusalem. And this Thomas, I'll believe it when I see it, traveled from Jerusalem to Chennai, planting churches, preaching the gospel. Yes, he had doubts. Yes, he wasn't sure. God still used him. So I want to come back to the bad news and the good news. The bad news is God isn't going to send someone else. The good news is God isn't going to give up on you either. So can we stand this evening? I want us to pray together. I don't know what your excuse is. Maybe you don't have an excuse. Maybe you're Peter and you're just running. You're busy drowning in the water because Jesus said, walk on the water, so you went. Jesus said, feed the thousands, you're feeding the thousands. Jesus said, go, you went, you didn't hold back. That's awesome. We love that. Keep that. Maybe trust God for a glimpse of wisdom in it, but keep it. But for those of us who aren't Peter, who are more Thomas or more Moses, more Jeremiah, more Gideon, maybe even Jonah. Tonight the Holy Spirit is saying, come, go where I've sent you. Trust me, I've got this. It's not about you and your excuse. 
It's about my spirit and my purpose. And maybe, just maybe, you'll see a whole city turn in one day. Maybe, just maybe, that thing that you know is impossible, but I'm God so I can do anything so it is possible. Maybe, just maybe, that thing is actually going to happen when you listen to me. Maybe, just maybe. Can we pray together tonight? Jesus, thank you tonight that you are a God who is slow to anger and rich in love, gracious and compassionate. That is the God who you are and the God who we know. And so, Jesus, I want to thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that we hear your voice. You say, your sheep hear your voice, Lord. God, I thank you that in this room, we know your voice and we've heard your voice. Lord, there are many areas where we're still wrestling and trying to determine what you are saying and figuring out, but the areas where we heard your voice, and we want to say thank you, Jesus, that you speak to us and that you lead us. And then, Lord, we want to acknowledge that we're no different to Thomas and Moses, Gideon and Jeremiah and Jonah. Lord, we've got our excuses. We've got our reasons, God. We've got the stuff we put ahead, Lord. You say go and we say no, Lord. Not yet. Not now. Not ready. Lord, all of those excuses that we come up with and excuses we hold on to, Jesus, tonight we want to lay those excuses down, Lord. Whatever it is, Jesus, that you called us to, we want to choose to say that your spirit is greater than our excuse, Lord. Whatever our fear and our insecurity, whatever our weakness, Jesus, you're able. We laugh at Moses, Lord, and we laugh at the others. We're just the same. So thank you that you had grace with Moses. You had grace with Jeremiah. You had grace with Gideon. You had grace with Jonah. Tonight you have grace with me, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that you pour grace over everyone tonight, Lord. Grace to say yes, Lord. Grace to step beyond the excuse. Grace to go where you send us, Lord. As intimidating as it may be, Lord, as inconvenient as it is, as different as it is to what we expected, it's so much better, Lord. I want to ask tonight if that's you while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. God's speaking to you about some excuse that you're holding on to. Maybe even you're Jonah. It's not even just an excuse. God said left. You said, okay, I'm going right. Tonight, if that's you, there's an excuse or you've been going in a different direction. Just there where you are. Don't you want to just raise your hand and say, it's me tonight. God, I'm, I'm laying down my excuse. there's an excuse that's stirring in your heart, just, just put up your hand and say, Jesus, I'm, I'm acknowledging my excuses, Lord. And I'm seeing them as excuses. And I'm laying them down as excuses, Lord. Jesus, thank you right now for freedom and for grace. Thank you for your word and your spirit which calls us into your purpose, Lord. I can I ask those of you who've raised your hands, don't you just want to step forward? We would love to minister to you, to pray with you. Love to just take a moment and just lay hands on you. 
Specifically, if you're here and, and you're Jonah, you know you've been running away from where God's called you to for whatever reason. You've been going in a different direction. Tonight, there's grace to turn. He's not angry with you. He's not upset with you. He's just calling you back to Him and back to His purpose. That's you as all you want to come forward. We want to pray with you. Tiro and the team, they're going to continue to lead us in worship. If you want to spend time in worship, then you're welcome to do that. If you want to hang around just in the Lord's presence, you're welcome to do that. There's coffee and tea outside as always. Hang around, have some coffee and tea, especially if you're visiting. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Don't have to run away either. We'll have the rugby on in about an hour or so when they kick off. But for now, we want to focus on Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria. Pretoria.